You guys doing good this morning? All right. I, I'm pretty excited about today. Uh, I'm always excited whenever we start a new chapter of, of the Gospel of Mark, just because I love the Gospel of Mark, and I love what, we're, what we've been doing here. And if you guys don't know what we're doing here, um, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we've got one in the back that has our gift to you today. You guys know that. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you have an iPad, or if you have like an iPhone, just turn it on, scroll on down, open your version app, or whatever it is you're using uh, to read that scripture today. Um, if you're like really old school and you carry a big scroll, uh, un- undo it. I mean, just like, I mean, go through your box of scrolls and be like, mm, Isaiah, mm, no, Nehemiah, okay, Mark, you know, whatever it is, just go ahead and pull it out. Mark chapter 5. Um, I will give a disclaimer before I start this sermon. Um, because usually I have to do disclaimers every once in a while because, you know, we start saying things that are a little bit harder to talk about. Um, I, love, I love going through the books of the Bible verse by verse because it doesn't allow me as your pastor to pick and choose what I want to talk about. So, like, if I, if I, wanna, if I feel like, man, I really, I really want to I I talk about this, you know, I can't be like, well, I'm going to go find a scripture that says this. You know, like, but if I'm going verse by verse of the Bible, I have to preach about what is there in front of me. That's the next thing. I can't be like, oh, we're just going to skip over chapter 6 today. Like, I, I can't do that. That's not right. So going verse by verse, we're stuck talking about hard topics. This is one of those hard topics. And so what I wanted to do is give a disclaimer. We're going to be using adult language in here. Uh, not, we're not going to be cussing. Uh, you're like, man, what's going on? You know, no, we're not going to be cussing, but we will be saying words that are more adult fitting. So there's no kids in the room, so I think we're all good. If I hear giggles and chuckles, then you need to grow up a little bit. No, I'm just joking. So so uh that being said, uh uh you might be a little you might be a little disturbed today. You might be feel a little uncomfortable, but I think that whenever God moves us to to grow, we feel strain, we feel a little bit of pain. Whenever you work out uh, if you go running or something, your legs hurt. If you haven't worked out in a while, your legs hurt. Um, if you're doing any type of change, if you're moving something in the house, your furniture gets nicks and dings because you bump it against the wall or something. You're moving, you're changing. So there might be a little bit of pain, a little bit of stress there. So just a disclaimer, that's what we got there. And so when I say that we're going to go through hard topics, this is one of those hard topics. Mark chapter 5, um, the whole title of the sermon is Jesus being greater than... Throughout the whole chapter 5, Jesus is just proving to us that he is greater than so many things in, in, in life. And the first thing he's proving that he is greater than is evil. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, how Jesus is greater than evil. Now this past week, if you were here last week, if you heard that on the podcast, you'll know that uh, we picked up a puppy dog named Shadow. Puppy dog named Shadow. He's half Lav, half Rhodesian, Richback. Did I mention he likes to hunt lions? His whole breed was bred to hunt lions. Now, I think that's just super cool. But because he is bred to hunt lions, because he's got that instinct in this puppy dog, because he is that instinctive on what he is doing, he is also very aggressive at times in cute ways, but he's also very aggressive. And so, like, we have this monster, monster of a lad named Onyx that lives with us already. And so uh, Shadow, Shadow will, will literally walk up to Onyx and start barking at him. Or he'll start growling at him. He'll start like, Rawr! you know, he's like, it's like Simba. He's like this little puppy growling at this big old dog, right? And then he'll start chomping at him. And he'll start nibbling at his feet. 
biting at him. He'll start jumping on him. He'll start pouncing on him. Onyx will just be like laying there and then like he'll like stalk Onyx and then just kind of like pounce on him like on his back and start biting his ear. And he's basically saying, look, I am shadow. I'm here to stay. I am dominant. I am the master of this house, right? Onyx is like, whatever, kid, you know? And so one day, that was all cool. Onyx, for the most part, is pretty cool with this, right? But one day, he just kind of snaps, and he loses it. And one day, they were playing with this orange tennis ball at the house, and I was watching them, and, you know, um, Shadow was doing his little thing where he's kind of like growling at people, and he's kind of, you know, getting kind of mean at people, right? And so as he's doing that, as he's growling at, at him, Onyx kind of lost it, right? And real quickly, as, as Shadow bit Onyx's lip, you know how the dog hit the lips? As he bit his lip, Onyx lost it. Onyx bit Shadow, and just like, all you hear was like, yep, and then the puppy like ran, Onyx was sh- showing Shadow, hey, you can push me around, but I am greater than you. I am bigger than you. It doesn't matter how much noise you make. It doesn't matter how much pain you inflict on me. I am greater than you. And we're realizing that Jesus is greater than evil. Jesus is greater than the most evil things that we have in this world today. Jesus is greater. As the song says, and we'll see here in a little while, Jesus is better than anything else. Amen? If you would, uh, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to read again. Mark chapter 5. It says this. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Garcinians. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. That means he broke the chains apart. And he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with the stones. And when Jesus saw afar, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran uh, and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He was begging Jesus. For he was saying to him, come out of the man. Jesus was telling the, the guy, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out of, of the man, and they entered the pens, pigs, and into the herd, numbering close to 2,000. And they rushed down to the steep bank of the sea, and they drowned in the sea. They drowned in the sea. And I got to say, growing up, whenever I heard scriptures like this, when I heard someone talking about the demonic, 
uh, demons and, I mean, I freaked out. I was kind of like, uh-uh, I don't know that. I don't know what you're talking about. That's weird. I don't like to talk about that. And, and it, it, I just grew up in the church and never even really even talked about demons and demonic possessions and stuff like that. I was kind of like, uh-uh, that's weird. I don't know anything about that. I don't believe in spiritual warfare. I don't like that stuff. I, I freak out. But as I started reading the Bible more, I started understanding more, it, it, it's there. And I, it, and if you're a little freaked out about that, let me just kind of say a couple of things out there, just kind of set the premise of this sermon. Is this, number one, is that demons are real. They're real. Like, I don't believe in them. Well, like, I've never seen a demon. I've never seen a million dollars all in one place either, but I know it's real. I don't see the wind blow, but I know it's there. Demons are real. Uh, Jesus talked about them. Uh, it, the Bible says he has power over them, as you were about to see. Demons are real. Uh, the second thing you need to know about demons is that they're, they're still around. It's not just a Bible thing. It's not just something in a story that you read. Demons, they're still around. The Bible says that demons are fallen angels from heaven, that a third of the angels fell from heaven whenever Satan decided to uh, rebel against God, and a third of the angels followed him down, and God cast him down to the earth. And ultimately, Satan is a demon himself, too, just a fallen angel. Um, the only thing we got to know about demons is that demons cannot possess a true Christian. They cannot enter a true Christian's heart, but they can oppress someone. It would be the difference between uh, giving you a pill that goes straight to your heart versus a topical cream. They can't enter your body, but they can definitely oppress you from the outside. And that is where many of us are in this category today. Oppression by demonic forces. Um, I say this with caution, I say this with excitement that we're going to talk about this today because a lot of us are very uncomfortable with that and I want to just kind of pursue with caution with this. So um, most of us don't even understand the dangers of that and I didn't understand it. So what are some of the things that are demonic oppressions in our life today? What are some of the things that can attack us demonically, spiritually in our life today? Uh, there are things like lust, Lust is a demonic oppression that it's a spirit that enters our body that we just, we lust after something. We sinfully lust after something. Sexual immorality, uh, another thing that can oppress us when we are sexually immoral with our bodies, sexually immoral with the bodies of people that we are with. Uh, Greed, greed for money, the love, the passion for things in this world, the the, the lust for the things that are are around us, that is a demonic oppression. Addiction, uh, when you think about addiction of uh, just addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol, addiction to pornography, addiction to things that those are uh, the oppressions that oppress us as Christians, as human beings. These are the things that many of us see as simple struggles or sins, but little do we understand they are demonic oppressions in our life. And just like this man, we can get so obsessed, just like the man in the story who was so controlled by an unclean spirit, we can get that way. We're so far away from God and we get so distanced from there. We can be so controlled by these things. We can be so controlled by what's around us, by what's in this world around us. We, our mind can wander and we can choose to rechannel, refocus our, our minds on things that are not of God, but are things that are bad for us. We do it all the time. Take, for instance, the fact that 70% of men, 18 through 24 years old, view pornography on a regular basis. 70% of men ages 18 through 24 view pornography on a regular basis, which means daily. 
That's, that's only the people who do it daily. That's only the people who do it weekly or every once in a while who struggle with it addiction-wise. Women struggle too. In fact, there was 13 million women who logged on to porno, pornography sites in the year 2007 alone, and that number is on the rise. 13 million women logging on to pornography sites in the year 2007 alone. That puts women as a one in three visitors to pornography sites. One in three people who log on to a pornography site are women, girls struggling with lust. That's a loss of control. When, when 70% of us men would, would struggle with that, that's a loss of control in our lives. Usually the temptations and lustful desires that, that fuel these issues, the, the things that, that cause us to lust that way lead into other things. Because whenever it's not just enough to look at something, then you have to want to do something. And so lustful desires lead to other demonic things which are uh, going into like sexual, sexual immorality, which is sex before marriage. One night stands, friends of benefits, rape, and even uh, living together before marriage. And yes, all those things tie in together as sexual morality, masturbation, sexual morality. And no, I don't believe that two people from the opposite sex can live together long enough with an ounce of attraction with each other and never sleep with each other. But pastor, no, <laughs> I'm not stupid. I was one of them. About 18.1% of all single women who became pregnant opted to move in with their boyfriends before the child was even born. According to a 2006-2010 data from the government's National Survey for Family Growth, the latest available information says that that was compared to 5.3% who chose a post-conception marriage. 18% chose to move in before marriage. 5% said, let's get married and then move in. As recently as the early 1990s, 25% church couples actually even got married. That means that 75% on a side note actually became single parents, single moms, and yes, even single dads. A lot of us tend to forget about the single dads, but there's a lot of single dads out there that are amazing fathers who are struggling just as bad as a single mom does. That's out of control. That's out of control. Uh, take greed or the love of money, the fact that, that we love money. Church members uh, in, in 2009 gave uh, only 2.3 or 2.4% of their income to the church in 2009. It, the Bible talks about giving a tithe, a tenth. That's still biblical today. In fact, they're like, well, that's, not, that's Old Testament, Pastor. All right, I'll do you one better. New Testament says to give a tithe, a tenth, and then above and beyond that to give sacrificially. Old Hebrew Jews were giving close to 40% of their finances to the local church. Jesus says to give a tenth. And so, if, what does that look like? Well, it says, if Americans who identified with the historical Christian church had chosen to give the 10% to the congregation that is required by God, that is required, that is given, as commanded by God, rather than the 2.4% national average, that means that every family, if every family gave 10% of their income, no matter what that was, whether you got 100 bucks a week or 1,000 bucks a week, if you just gave your 10%, that the church would have been given an additional $172 billion to work and do ministry and missional stuff in, in throughout the world. To put that in perspective, the cost to end world hunger, according to the United Nations, uh, to uh, invest into agricultural water wells, uh, 
agricultural finances to build up uh, crops and stuff. The cost to end world hunger will cost the world $30 billion a year. Put that in perspective. If the church would simply do what the God has asked us to do, if the church would simply do what God asked us to be doing and commanded us to do what we're doing, we have enough money to cure world hunger within one year. If we just did everything for one year, we have enough money to cure world hunger for five years and then have about uh, 40-some percent of that left over to do other things. Five years and nine months to end world hunger. If we all just did our thing for one year straight, everyone. Shoot, if half of them did it for a year, we'd have, we can cure world hunger for two years. The sad thing is, is that many of us don't even give sacrificially with our tithes and offerings the way God has commanded us to do. We are out of control with that. We are greedy. We want our money. To add to that perspective, over $214 billion were spent on Christmas in 2013 alone. In America. $214 billion on Christmas alone in America where we have children here in America who aren't even going to have a Christmas. And they're starving. And yet we spend on average about $800 per family, if you divide that over the 30 million people who are here in America, you divide that up, it's about 700 and some dollars a family on average. Do you really need that DVD player? Do you really need that stereo? Do you really need that awesome thing that you want? We are greedy with our money. We spend more money on going out to eat We spend more money on average on movies. We spend more money on our vehicles, cars, and trucks. We spend more money on clothes and makeup than we do giving to God. So we spend more money on the creative versus the creator. We invest more money on ourselves than we invest in the person who actually gave us the ability to enjoy the money. That's almost a middle finger to God. We are out of control. Just like this guy in the Bible, he's out of control. He can't control himself. The idea of the American dream is this. I need to have the very best house. I need to have the very best car. I need to have the very best career. I need to have the life of luxury. These ideas have consumed our minds and have caused us to work longer hours at work to where we no longer want to say no to overtime. We no longer want to say no or take a break or take a rest as commanded by God, which is the Sabbath. We never take any breaks off work because we always want to do more and go more and go harder and go longer. We cheat the system and we lie to get a better rate on rent or whatever it takes to lower our interest rate. We lie on our taxes because we want to get more money back from the government. We think it's okay to do that. And we do things that are just outright sin in the love and the pursuit of money. Why? Because we want the better house, the better car, the better career. We want the life of luxury. Unfortunately, we have to pay high costs for our kids. And that's terrible. It shouldn't cost so much to raise our kids here in America. It leads to comparisons to each other. You walk into your friend's house. They have this awesome TV. You're like, man, I still got the old tube TV. You start comparing. You start comparing about certain people's vehicles. I really wish I had that. If I was just at this level, if I just worked this hard, I have a car. Or, man, you know, I'm going through a hard time, and it's okay struggle. I'm living at home. You're like, but man, my so-and-so, he's got all this stuff. I'm starting to resent him for what he has. That's called coveting. That's a sin. It leads us to be obsessed and, and sin 
it leads us to all these comparisons to what success in life really is. And I, I dare you right now to just start, if that is you, just start redefining what success is in life. If you're a family member, redefine what success is. It's not about having the nicest house and the nicest car. It's about having the family that honors God with everything that they do, no matter what they do. Thus leads us to the next thing. When we get so stressed out, when we can't uh, uh, live up to the standards of what we believe success is, we start being obsessed with our addictions. We start drinking more than just a casual drink on, the, on, on our parties, on our quinceaneras, or our weddings, or on the weekends. We start uh, being obsessed with alcohol, and we start relaxing, and we start saying that it, it, it gives us this release. That it, that it makes us forget about the problems versus going to God and going to Jesus and in prayer and allowing him to ease our minds and ease our troubles. Why should we go through something that is chemically made when, when, when the creator of the world is here saying, like, I love you, I want to I I give you everything, just come to me. And I, the Bible says that, come to me and, and I, would, I would take your burdens away. We brag about wild nights on Facebook and Instagram but no, with no disregard, total disregard as to what our children are going to see 10 years from now when they log on. We Instagram our dirty martinis and our bloody Marys. We, uh, we, we have no regard as to what that is. Whenever they, they, people see a picture of our awesome-looking drink right next to a Joel Osteen quote. And we, we start saying things like, oh, I love my church, I love this, like that. But yet, uh, um, come Saturday morning, we get the pictures of Friday night when, when, when you were having to call a, a cab to go home because you couldn't control your drinking. And we say that honors God, but it doesn't. We say, well, you can't judge me. I'm just, I'm struggling. You're not struggling because you're bragging about it. We lose control of what, when we lose control, we become obsessed with those things. And the list can go on and on of things that can oppress us and things that can, can control us and, and make us do things and just pull us further away from God. You think about things like hatred. And violence, people who are violent with their hands, uh, husbands who can't control their, their fist, and they rather lay a fist than lay a hand on a child. You talk about abuse, you talk about rape, you talk about uh, self-mutilation, cutting, bruising, um, things like that, choking, uh, setting yourself on fire for a YouTube video. Jealousy. When you start being jealous of people, when you start having too much pride in your life, and and there's nothing wrong with pride, but too much pride is, is a sin. You start being concerned with your self-image and how if you only lost 20-some pounds or 5 pounds, you would look better than so-and-so. Or look at so-and-so. They look better. Look at that guy. He's got a good-looking you know, chest and abs. I wish I was like that, but I just can't seem to lose the gut. And you start comparing yourself to people. And before you know, you start getting depressed because you're not that person that you wish you could be. Versus being just in love with the person that God has created you to be. Women, we do this all the time. I don't do it, but y'all do it all the time. You women are beautiful the way God has created you to be. Why would you, why would you want something more than what God has created you to be right here, right now? Be, be in love with the person God has made you. We have idolatry and stuff like that. It's all an oppression. There's one common thing with all of these things I've listed before, all of these things that control us is that they come from the world's point of view. Example being, when you say, I thought it was okay to live with the opposite sex. No, that's, that's the world telling you it's okay. 
Or they say, um, I, I never given anything to the church or anything because that doesn't actually build me up. Why would I give my money away? Because it doesn't build me up. But when God says, when you give more away, he'll build you up more. God says, if you give, the more you give, the more I will build you up. And you're like, that doesn't make sense to me because you're thinking like the world does. These things control our lives and cause us to go further and further away from God. Just look at the man again. Look at Legion. Verse 3 said that he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even the chain. He was among the dead. He lived among the tombs far away from life. And sins of the mind compressions can make us feel like that. When we're so obsessed with um, whatever lustful desires we have or whatever depressions we have when we're, where we're, where we're doing stuff and we're hurting ourselves and we're so into that, we can feel like we are literally among the dead. Like there is no life. No one cares about me. I'm messed up. No one wants to be with me. No one wants to be around me because look at me. I'm, I'm dirty and depressed. I, 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 I'm terrible. I swear so much. No one even believes me. I lie so much. I drink too much. I do this too much. I'm obsessed with this. I'm a jerk. I'm whatever it is. We get obsessed with that, and then we feel like we're among the dead, and we feel hopeless and condemned at the same time. Because then some of us even go to the church, and the church pushes us away, and the church fails at their job, and then they feel like they can't even go to the church for help. And you feel hopeless and depressed, just like the man. He was living among the dead. We could be living among the dead today. Another way we can look at that is, is that the Bible says that before we, were, we knew Jesus, we were dead in our sins. And so this man was literally living among the dead. Whenever, before you know Jesus Christ, you were literally dead. That scripture says that you are dead. You have no life in you. You are a sinful person. From the age of zero until the day you accept Christ in your life, you are dead. Just like this man here. Verse 4 said, For he, often, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. So the man had become so out of control with his life, so into whatever he was doing, so into the, the obsession that he had, that no one could even help him at that point. How many of you guys have met addicts like that, who are so addicted that no matter what you do, no matter what program they go into, no matter what they have, they seem like they can never get out of that. They would rather deliberately choose to ignore the help and the love of someone because they don't understand the love of someone, the sacrificial love of someone. And they continue to go further and further, and they continue to be controlled. He was giving full vent to his desires and urges. He wasn't even considering trying to help himself. He was just going for it. Verse 5 said, Night and day among the tombs and the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He was hurting both physically and spiritually. How many of us, when we struggle with sins and temptations, become hurt physically and spiritually? Physically, you ever had a hangover? You ever had a hangover that you just, no matter how much water you drink, no matter what you do, it did not go away. Ever slept with a stranger and found out later that you have an STD? Ever lost your family because you wouldn't stop working? And you're just obsessed with work and obsessed with work and before you know you come home, your wife's like, I'm leaving you. You'd rather work. We say this all the time at the refineries. I said it to a bunch of guys and who, who have been divorced. I'm like, no, it's easier to, raise, to run the refinery than it is to raise a family. They're like, what does that mean? I'm like, because you'd rather be out here working at the refinery than you would be at home raising your family. Because raising a family is hard. 
Raising a family takes a real man. Raising a family takes work. It's easier to come out here and run a processed refinery because you'd rather be out here doing this than you would be at home. Or even to the point where you hurt yourself out of depression, cutting yourself, bruising yourself, burning yourself. You want to feel pain just so you can feel something versus nothing at all. Because maybe you're numb because you're depressed over something that you did before, something that happened to you, some type of traumatic thing that happened in your life. Now you're just obsessed with that. Yes, we're all out of control at some point. We've all been there at some point where we feel so obsessed with something that we know is not right. But here's the awesome thing. Here's the most amazing thing that we can hear today. And this is the best part of today's message is that Jesus is greater than that. We got to believe that Jesus is greater than the evil. And look again what happens. This is verse 6. It says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God not to torment me. Not to torment me. For he was crying out to him. Jesus was crying out to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Okay, and so I just got I got to see this, right? And then Jesus says, and then he asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. The word Legion means like a legion of a, an army, an army legion, a, a bunch of soldiers. He says, we are legion. We are, we are many. Now, it never hit me until this last Friday when I was reading this, but I got, I was reading it. This guy was freaked out when he saw Jesus. Because you got to believe that, because when, when it says that Jesus came up and he was crying out to him, come out of him, you unclean spirit. So Jesus didn't just come up on the boat and he was kind of like walking around. I was like, oh, hey, oh, hey, that guy's unclean, man. No, it says that Jesus came out of the boat saying, you come out, you unclean spirit. And he went like Vato Loco gangster style on the guy. He's like, you come out of him right now, you unclean spirit. He started yelling at the guy and the guy started freaking out. Jesus shows his authority. Jesus shows his supremacy. Jesus shows the power he has over that demonic oppression. Jesus rolled up crazy gangster style and said, you get out of that guy right now. The, it, it scared him. It freaked the evil out. And we got to realize that the same Jesus that, that can do that here for the Legion and for this man, the same Jesus who did that, it's the same Jesus that loves us and cares about us today. That no matter what we do, no matter how bad we think we are, we've got a God and a Jesus who is stronger and better than anything else that we go through. The book of Revelation says that Jesus comes in, I love this, on a white horse, tattoo on his thigh, sword coming out of his mouth, robe drenched in blood. That is thug Jesus right there. That guy is like, I'm going to whoop you. This ain't the Jesus with a lamb. This is the Jesus with a freaking sword in his hand. Like, let's do this. I'll fight for you. And that is the God that we serve. That is the God that lives in us. That is the God that we need to rely on whenever we start feeling like this. Now, the demons needed to leave out of the man. The demons saw this, and they had to get out of the man because Jesus commanded that problem, you know, you know, to get out of that man, to solve his problem. Verse 11 said, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, the demons begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So, so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbered about 2,000. There was about 2,000 demons in this one man. Many of us compile our, our 
demonic oppressions. We compile our sinful lifestyles. And before, like I said before, when we have an addiction to pornography, that leads to an addiction to self-image and, and how we look, and then that leads to an addiction to uh, living in a sexual immoral morality type lifestyle with someone and then that leads to money problems because you got to provide for that and that leads to this and that leads to alcoholism because you're stressed out because you're fighting all the time and that leads to this and we literally can stack our demonic oppression stack our sins upon each other where we all can go back to one sin and if we would never have done the one sin we wouldn't have so many more sins in our lives and this is exactly it was over 2,000 demonic oppressions controlling this man Two thousand he was out of control he couldn't stop that how many of you guys feel like you've been out of control before before you know it you're doing this you're doing that before you know you keep you, you lie to cover up that lie and you keep lying around before you know it, you are so out of control and you don't even know how to get back to where you first started you don't even know what where you first started even looks like anymore your mind is a cloud of just confusion grief depression and you don't know where, where you're going Christ tells the guy and the demons, get out of this guy, go into that swine, go into that pig, which the pig represented an unclean animal back in the days of of Jesus. He said, go into that unclean animal and just go die. The pigs ran into the water and they died. Jesus is the only way in your life that you will ever overcome any type of sinful desires. Jesus is the only way you will ever overcome any type of struggles in your life. Jesus is the only power that is strong enough to overcome anything that you feel controlled by. Jesus is the only thing that can make anything right in your life. Whether you're depressed, uh, whether you're feeling sinful, whether you don't feel any type of remorse for that, Jesus is the same God who can, uh, you know, call out 2,000 demons. He can call out the sins in your life and change you and heal you. For many of us here today... Uh, who are here, I, I think that you're here because you need to hear this message so desperately. And I didn't write this message for you. I wrote this message because it was the next thing that was in line. And I don't know why it, it, it worked out where, you know, some of us are here, some of us are not here. But I really believe the people who are here today need to hear this message, that there is a hope, there is a love, there is a grace from God who is here to fight for you. He is here to roll up on your scene and totally cast anything out in your life if you're willing to listen to him. That is the God we serve. We serve a mighty God who is not afraid to back down from any fight. He is greater. He is more powerful. He brings us back to him when we stray away. Like a lost sheep in the story of the shepherd. When Jesus will leave the 99, the shepherd left the 99 to go after the one that strayed away. He will do that for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says this. I will close with this. This is Paul talking. He says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. And the old life is gone and the new life has begun. This person is saying that if you belong to Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, the past from that point that you say, I do to Jesus, when you commit your life to Jesus, everything before that is null and void, just gone. It's gone. It doesn't even exist anymore in the eyes of Jesus. So whenever you come to Jesus, you're no longer a drunk. You're no longer an addict, a whore, a junkie, a jerk, a loser, a cheater, or an evil person. You are a new creation in Christ. You are something new. You're not that person anymore. 
When you love Jesus, you are a new person. Even though you may fall, even though you may stray, even though things might come into your life that pull you back, you are still a new person. And you need to own that today. Many of us feel like, well, I've came to know Jesus, but I'm struggling. No, I don't think Jesus loves me. That's a lie. That's a lie. Jesus loves you more now than he ever did. You need to own that. It's yours. It's a gift. It says that he, who, uh, this is a gift from God. This is verse 18 in 2 Corinthians. This is a gift from God. It's a gift for you. That's yours. You own it. That is you. You name it. You claim it. Don't be a victim anymore. Be a survivor. Say, I am a survivor. I am a love. I am I'm a child of Christ. That nothing's going to get me by. That my God, the God who, who lives, the God of Israel, that he is the guy who is going to save me from any problems and, and lead me out of the depression and lead me out of the stress and lead me out of the struggles. He is the one who can save me. No matter what happens in this life, he is the one who can save me. You own it. That is your gift. And this is all a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us the task of reconciling other people to him. We'll talk about that more next week. How we can reconcile others back to him. But for now, let's stand. Let's have some real talk. Let's all stand up with this. And we'll pray. What is it that you're struggling with? You don't have to say it. Just keep it in your mind. Say it to yourself. What is it that you're struggling with? And are you willing to let go of whatever it is that overwhelms you? Are you letting it overwhelm and control your life? Whatever it is you're struggling with, is it overwhelming you? Is it the love of money? Is it lust? Is it an improper relationship? Is it something that is controlling your life where you're so obsessed with that you can't even focus on Jesus anymore? And what are you going to do about it? Great question. What are you going to do about it? If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Are you willing to give up everything that controls you to allow God to free you? Are you willing to give up everything that controls you to allow God to free you? Let's pray and let's listen to this song.